Today's show is brought to you by mParticle. It's the only customer data platform built to address modern data challenges. For most brands today, customer interactions are spread across a lot of connected devices, and that makes it tough to create optimal experiences and drive the right marketing outcomes. That's why brands like Spotify, Venmo, and Airbnb use mParticle. It lets them unify customer data into a single customer view. Then they can easily integrate that data into any marketing or analytics platform with no additional engineering time required. The result is more personalized customer experiences on websites and in apps, as well as more relevant ads across all channels and partners. Visit mparticle.com to learn how mparticle can help your business unify the customer experience and accelerate growth. Today's show is sponsored by GoCD, a continuous delivery server built by ThoughtWorks. GoCD helps your team release software more frequently, consistently, and reliably. Download and use GoCD for free. Visit gocd.org slash recode. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today in the red chair is Ray Dalio, the co-chairman of the hedge fund Bridgewater Associates, which he co-founded in 1975. He is the author of Principles, Life and Work, which the New York Times described as part memoir and part how-to guide. In the new book, he shares lessons and processes that have guided him throughout his career. Ray, welcome to Recode Decode. Thank you. Glad Thanks to for be coming here. in. Let's. Um, I'm going to go first to your background. Um, it's a famous hedge fund. It's one of the the big. Is it the biggest? Or yeah. Okay. It's the biggest, yeah. So talk a little bit about how you got to where you got and why, and then we'll get into the book itself. Well, I grew up uh, on Long Island. Um, mm-hmm. When I was 12, I uh, caddied. Uh-huh. At a local golf course, and then I learned at the time the stock market was hot. Yeah, and I took my catting money and I put it in the stock market. When you were twelve, well, it wasn't. Yeah. it sounds precocious, but uh, you know, like at, at that time, everybody was talking about the markets. Mm-hmm. And then when I put it in the markets, I bought a stock. It was mm-hmm. the only company I ever heard of that was selling for less than $5 a share. Okay. I thought I could buy more shares uh-huh. and I'd make more money if it went up, which right. was a dumb strategy. Mm-hmm. But I got lucky. Yeah. The stock tripled. Which stock? Northeast Airlines. All right. It was oh, an my airli- God. I remember. Oh, yeah. It was a company, you know, come on down and then let's go to Florida on Northeast Airlines. Right. And anyway, so it tripled in value. And I th- I was hooked on the markets, and right? I thought it was easy. Yeah. Right. Right. Investing in the markets is anything but easy. It's really taught me humility, which mm-hmm. was the most important thing. So that's how I got started. I always That was the game I liked. I was no good at school. I, d- I have a bad memory. Mm-hmm. I you know, didn't like school, but I loved playing the markets. I, um, then I got into um, CW Post College on probation. Right, on Long Island? Yeah, on Long Island. And then I... I grew up in Roslyn Harbor. That's oh, why. okay. Yeah, yeah. So we know the neighborhood. Yeah. And um, and I loved college because mm-hmm. it was a whole different thing. Then I went to Harvard Business School and I traded markets. And then when I got out in 1973, um, and uh, that was the time of the oil crisis, and I went as director of commodities to a brokerage house because I knew how to trade commodities. Mm-hmm. And then I started my own own business in 75 because I didn't fit in well in the company and mm-hmm. I liked to do things myself, so I formed Bridgewater in 75. And, and that's what was the, the theory? Did you, everyone, all the hedge funds, the ones I've met, uh, have a theory of the market? Did you have one, or what was your conceptual? No, no. Uh, I mean, I just love, I love playing the game, and I love macro, right? Mm-hmm. I love economics. I like uh, the whole, seeing the whole world, global mm-hmm. macroeconomics. So that was my, my game. Everybody's got a different angle, but I like macro. Mm-hmm. But there was a very different trading situation when you started. It was very different. It wasn't quite as automated. It wasn't, algorithms were not as important and different things. Talk a little bit about how it's changed because I, I think, the, especially with the internet, everything became very different on Wall Street and how people, uh, or maybe not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, artificial intelligence b- mm-hmm. began in 1953, right. and we've gone through this long phase. So, 
Um, for me, uh, you know, I've for, it's been a long time, 25 years of writing down algorithms and doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, uh, it's developed. But there were neural nets. There were all sorts of ways of thinking. And also, by the way, a lot of lessons to be learned from that. Right. Um, so, uh, and, of course, now it's much more the case that uh, people are beginning to understand, uh, I still think it's just the tip of the iceberg, mm-hmm. uh, that in investing or in, in any other area, that you can express your thought in an algorithm mm-hmm. and that the computer can make decisions in parallel with you. Uh-huh. And so uh, we're seeing that operate in trades and, and in, in the markets, but we're seeing it operate in everything. So uh, it's just that, that uh, evolution. I, w- I do want you to reflect, though, how Wall Street has changed, though, in the past, you know, 19, between 1975 and now. That's a really, it's a delta First, in terms of transactions, you know, mm-hmm. in the old days, you would call a person to make an order. Right. And, you know, there were certain people who, uh, they were pals with the broker, and there was right. all of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, it's um, nah. it's just uh, automated, and, and it's a blessing to get past all of that, because, uh, you know, you have the conflicts of interest that existed back then. You know, well, if you're this guy's a pal, he's not giving you the best trades. But, you know, all of that was going on. So order execution has totally changed. Information processing has totally changed. Mm-hmm. And we're just beginning, really, um, the movement toward um, algorithmic decision making, meaning, um, generally speaking, um, the last maybe year or two or three you start to see people um, do better algorithmic decision-making. Let me break it out in this all way. Right, please it's, it's true for all of AI. Oh, okay. How do you come up with your algorithms? Mm-hmm. You're going to come up with your algorithms. Um, so let's get off of the Wall Street thing because right. I think it's absolutely true. Yes, everyone. It, it's, it's the same thing everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So the question is, um, where do you come up with your algorithms? Do you put the data into the computer and let them derive the algorithms Mm -hmm. and believe those algorithms and then move forward and bet on on what that? Mm -hmm. Okay, is that where you come up with them? Or uh, do you have the criteria in your head and then express them as algorithms? And that is the big difference, right, Mm -hmm. as we're at this juncture. And I think the important thing, I just want to get this out, is the question is what is the role of understanding and when can you do that and when can't you do that? Right. So um, my experience and the history in the markets um, has shown that if uh, if it doesn't ha- if you don't understand it mm-hmm. if you can't explain the algorithm and right. understand that that cause effect relationship makes sense whatever it is and the future is different from the past mm-hmm. you're probably headed for trouble. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, and that's not true of just markets. Right. So, uh, algorithmic, how do you come up with them? Right. Right. What I inputs do you put them. into them? I need to, I, ha- I need to have deep understanding mm-hmm. for the cause of relevance effect relationships, though in some cases you don't need it if you know the future is going to be similar to the past. Like if you're playing chess, mm-hmm. no problem. If if doctors are doing surgeries and you take that data sure. and you go, no problem. Right. But if you don't have deep understanding and you're in a situation where the future is different from the past, God help you. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because alg- algorithm decision making, obviously, it's the hot area in Silicon Valley and how, how it applies to various businesses and everything else. But in terms of making investment decisions, do you imagine it leading to it? You were talking about input that is required by you. Yes. And my approach. Right. And by the way, it's not just investment decisions. What What's happened is the um, people decisions are made the same way, mm-hmm. as, as you saw from my TED talk. Right. Uh, uh, when we're dealing with any individuals making any decisions, the real question is, can you write that down clearly and right. write it in words and then, express and then it. convert that into algorithms? What I learned mm-hmm. was this magic that has nothing to do with investments, although it works in investments, everything else. 
is that whenever I would make a decision, rather than just make a decision, mm -hmm. I would take the time to write down what my criteria for the decisions are. So whenever I encounter something, right. I have I, ha I have those principles written down. That's what the book is, but okay. mostly a collection of those principles. Mm -hmm. And then magic happened. Wonderful things happened. Because when that was written down, uh, first of all, I could when the next one of those situations came up, I you can refer, refer to it. Right. I would be able to collaborate with others to see are those good criteria. So we would form, for, and pay shift our, them depending. Pay our attention. We would modify them. Mm -hmm. And then we were able to convert words into algorithms. And then we could take those algorithms and back test how they would have performed in the future to enhance our learning. Mm -hmm. And then put them into decision making so that the, the computer works in parallel with us, like driving with a GPS. Uh -huh. It gives its decisions, and I'm giving decisions next to it, or playing chess with a chess game next to you, playing as your sure. partner. Yep. And then that, when I'm doing that reconciliation, either teaches me or I help to teach the computer. Right. And that has been the key to our success. Okay. That's a great hope, obviously. There is also others that feel like the computer will take over all decision-making. Well, but I think the question is, is it in parallel? Mm -hmm. Are you working in parallel, like playing that chess game? Sure. Gary Kasparov, I was you know, speaking with him about, yeah. uh, about that. And he loves to play it with the chess game next to him and him next to it and that kind of interaction. Uh -huh. I think that's the best way to do it. It doesn't take over unless it makes sense. Right. And you, you've read about all the worries about around that. Well, I think, yes, and I'm trying to address that. Right. And I'm saying, so what do you do about it? When should you worry and when shouldn't you worry? Mm -hmm. And I'm distinguishing when you shouldn't worry from right. when you should worry. That's right. What right. I'm answering your question about. All right. So let's talk a little bit about. So what caused you to? So you're here running this huge hedge fund. What is the size of it? Uh, we manage 160 billion dollars. That's a lot of money. Yeah. That's yeah. A lot. So you are doing this. Obviously busy doing this. What prompted you to write this book about it? And let, and then we'll go through some of the principles you think are critical. These the the book is not about investment principles. There's two sets of principles. Right. Working. I wrote the I, I wrote the book uh, because I. To help people make their decisions better, right? Because I learn uh, through my experiences, and as a matter of fact, so the history is that um, I I don't even like to be public. I didn't want to write the principles. I thought it was presumptuous to write the principles. Uh -huh. And then in two thousand and eight, we anticipated the world financial crisis when mm -hmm. others didn't. And we have an unusual culture, an idea meritocratic culture. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we got a lot of attention for what this is like and it. people didn't understand it. How did it. you do it? Yeah. Words. So I put these written principles that I accumulated over uh -huh. uh, that period of time online. They were on a PDF file. They were downloaded three and a half million times. Mm -hmm. And I got lots of thank you notes and, and so on. So um, then um, now, today, I'm at a stage in my life where I'm going from my, what I consider my second phase of my life to my third phase in my life okay. For, i think life pretty much exists in three phases okay in in the first phase um you're learning from learning. others yeah and you're dependent on others in the second pay phase you're working and others are dependent on you mm -hmm. and you're trying to be successful as you go to the from that second phase at to the third phase you get to a certain age where your kids are growing up or you're the people you care about, you're, you're no longer trying to be more successful. You're trying to help other people be more successful. Mm -hmm. And so this um, collection of these principles were things that took me from having nothing. Which you had learned along the second which I'd phase. Which I learned along the way. Mm -hmm. It took me from having nothing to um, uh, having what people conventionally think is success and, and, right. and so on. And I uh, helped a lot of people, so I wanted to put them together. At, in the so you initially started off with a PDF that got viral, presumably, and then you moved on to this. So let's let's break it apart. You, you've broken it up into into two parts. This book. Why don't you talk about how you formulated it, and then we'll talk about some of the individual principles yeah. you think are critical. Well, there's this book, and then there's one other book, so that it will come. Um, oh, there's two. There's. I'm, I only have one now, in, yeah. in another year and a half. Um, okay. When I learned. This book is about life and work principles. The next one will be economic and investment principles. All right. Okay. And then I will, anything that I have of value in my thinking will be in those. Okay. And I can pass that along. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and so in, in this book, um, 
Um, it was this collection of experiences and mostly the appreciation of the failures mm-hmm. um, and how to learn. Um, I, think, right. I think there's a process of learning and it goes through it. So um, I think that um, in a nutshell, um, I think there's only two things people have to do in order to be successful. Uh, they have to know what the right decisions are and they have to have the courage to make them. Yeah, and just I, that. That's it. <laughs> but the biggest tragedy uh-huh. of most people yeah. is that they think that the right decisions are in their heads. Mm-hmm. They have opinions that they're attached to uh-huh. and that I learned over, I learned through experiences and, and I learned humility, mm-hmm. humility, the market teaches you humility. Right. And I learned then um, that um, how to go beyond that to create an idea of meritocracy. Uh-huh. And that's explained in the book. Uh, um, so, uh, in, you know, in brief, um, in an idea of meritocracy, there are three things you have to do. Uh, first is you have to put your honest thoughts on the table for everybody to see. Mm-hmm. And other people have to do that. Um, then you have to have the, know the art of thoughtful disagreement. Right. Um, Which so is a big topic these days. Um, oh, it's a good thing it's a big topic because <laughs> it's an important thing. It is. Uh, I, I, the lack of – there was a very good article yesterday by Brett Stevens in the New York Times about the, the dying art of agree, uh, disagreement. It was really. I saw that. I yeah. saw, saw that. Right. We'll get to that in a second. But go ahead. So that art of thoughtful disagreement mm-hmm. to find. I learned humil being beaten around and making mistakes. Right. Taught me that one of the smartest things I could do was find the smartest people who disagree with me, mm-hmm. and to um, understand their perspective and ha- engage in that art right. of thoughtful disagreement. There right. are protocols to do it right and wrong. So first, you have to put your honest thoughts on the table mm-hmm. Second, with others. Second, you have to execute, execute that art of thoughtful disagreement. Mm-hmm. And third, then you have to have idea meritocratic ways of getting past your disagreement. Mm-hmm. In other words, a vote or something that's right. going to get you, if we all disagree, sure. we could still have a relationship, but we have to get past our disagreement sure. and get on to do things. And the way of doing that is idea meritocratic. So in our culture, this um, idea meritocratic culture has mm-hmm. been mind-blowingly effective. Mm-hmm. So, and just when, wa- it's effect- when it's effective. It has been mind-blowingly effective. Okay. I will, I'll tell you what it's, what right. it's like. All right. Um, so um, in one sentence, mm-hmm. um, what we want, what I want, and what we've been striving to build out and largely built out. This uh, is at Bridgewater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it should be, um, I would encourage it everywhere. Okay. Well, so here's the sentence and you okay. see whether it's right. the right thing. Right. Um, first of all, idea meritocratic thinking. So the best idea wins out. Okay. Okay. Um, in which the goals are to seek a meaningful work and meaningful relationships. Mm-hmm. That they're both equally important. Right. Okay. The meaningful work is being on a mission that you're excited about and that you, does great things. And the ma- meaningful relationships mean that you are there for each other and, and you know that you get rewards out of those. Mm-hmm. And the work and the relationships will reinforce each other if they're operating well. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, th- then, in order to get those things, to have radical truthfulness and radical transparency. I mean, radical truthfulness is mm-hmm. this put everything on your table yes, your and idea. get past it. Right. And radical transparency is to make it that virtually everybody can see virtually everything for themselves. So we record things. Uh-huh. Almost every conversation is all recorded for everybody to listen to. It's not surveillance. Mm-hmm. It's so everybody can form know their own opinions and yeah. not have spin. Right. Because when you go to radical transparency, you uh, then people get to see things from the, for themselves. Right. Which um, is, if they don't, they can't be part of that idea of meritocracy because it's right. not tr- transparent. And also, bad things happen in the dark where uh, good things happen in the light of day. Mm. So I'll repeat that sentence. The goal is to have a real idea of meritocracy mm-hmm. in which we're trying to have, we, our goals are to have me- meaningful work and meaningful relationships mm-hmm. through radical truthfulness and radical transparency. And that is a magic formula. It's been a magic formula. Um, knowing what we don't know and mm-hmm. how to get past that to right. be independent thinkers, that has been the formula 
that has worked for us. In other words, it's taken me from being that lousy student and mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. to um, uh, what has happened in terms of those types of successes. And it's been applied, you know, a lot of increasingly in a lot of other places. And um, I think that that's important for me to pass along. We're here with Ray Dalio. He's the co-chairman of the hedge fund Bridgewater. When we get back, we're going to talk more about his book, Principles, Life and Work, and how to do it. Because a lot of people, we aim for a tech audience here, think they have the best way of running companies, and they have various and different schemes. And I'd love to talk about those when we get back. Great. This episode is brought to you by MParticle, the customer data platform for every screen. And I'm here with co-founder and CEO, Michael Katz. We know that uh, people are using mobile to research and transact more than ever before, which we've talked about. What's the future of mobile commerce and how does MParticle help its retailer customers like Overstock, Lily Pulitzer, and Jet.com? So the classic notion of a person moving through the funnel is fundamentally broken. Mm People may start researching a company's product on their laptop, subscribe to that brand's email newsletter a few days later, get an email which they open on their phone, download the app and complete the purchase. You know, so right there, just trying to map the customer journey, you need to capture data from four or five systems. So brands need to create consistent and personalized experiences across all these devices and systems. And so it starts with having a data platform that was built to ingest data from anywhere, mm-hmm. create a unified view of the customer, and then in real time, sync that data out to all the various marketing and analytics tools that the company may use in order to create these experiences. So people are doing very different things all the time. So Absolutely. Dynamic as they are using all these devices. For sure. Thank you, Mike Katz of MParticle. Where can we learn more about what you're doing? Go to www.mparticle.com or follow us on Twitter at mparticles with an S. Ah, thank you so much. Thanks. I'd also like to tell you about Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Peter, I'm here in the studio with you in New York. Who did you talk to this week? Hello, Kara. You know what? You what? look exactly as I imagined. You I know that. I'm wearing makeup today because I was on you television. You look a little more awesome than Yes, normal. thank you so much. My I talked to one great. of my personal favorite people. Yes, who was that? Uh, Me? Media this week. Yeah, and talked to In addition to you, yeah. Dana Gould, longtime uh, stand-up comedian. He was a writer for The Simpsons. He has a great podcast himself called The Dana Gould Hour. And he also has this very weird show on IFC called Stan Against Evil. Oh, it's a little wordplay there, right? Yeah, and it's a kind of heart horror, kind of funny. It's great. He's great. And he stands against evil? Stan stands against evil. He wrote, he, he, he helped Stan stand against evil. It's, it's set at, whatever. Well, you listen to the All podcast. Right. Okay. It's great. But All it's right. how to make a living as a comedian and a podcaster and a writer in Hollywood in 2017. Fantastic, Peter. That sounds great. You can find Recode Media on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we are talking to Ray Dalio, the co-chairman of Hedge Fund Bridgewater Associates, which he co-founded in 1975. But he's here because he's talking about a new book he's written called Principles, Life and Work. And it's got an enormous amount of people are recommending it, including a lot of tech people, Bill Gates, Reed Hastings and others. And tech has always thought of itself as sort of a a new way of managing. And they do it by various various ways. Each of them has a different thing. But a lot of it has to do with the idea of meritocracy, the idea of transparent decision making and other things that you've talked about here. It doesn't always it's not always true necessarily because it seems to me that a lot of I'm just going to use tech companies because you can we can talk about those first but it applies to all companies there's a lot of top down at these companies there's a lot of celebration of a single CEO genius and that they know best essentially a lot of these companies are run as they also talk a lot about meritocracy when in a lot of cases it's a meritocracy it's a lot of the same people talking about things and these are things you talked differently about in your book that you wanted people who were different you wanted thoughts that were different can you talk a little bit about that because I think a lot of people talk about putting these things into practice and they don't actually happen they create sort of these almost empires I'm not mm-hmm. sure how to describe it yeah I'm there's uh, there's two ways of making it. You're either going to have autocratic, mm-hmm. and that's bad, and or you're going to have democratic. Right. You talked yeah. about that. That was interesting to me, because those are the two ways companies are set up in a lot of times. Yeah. I mean... So talk about autocratic first. The boss is right. Right. Okay. Look, no human being has mm-hmm. anywhere near the capacity to make uh, the great decisions right. as great collective decision-making. Right. If you know how to tap the boat, 
the best mm-hmm. and how to stress test those ideas, you're going to get radically better and uh, decision than, than making. a top down. Than a single person making a decision, a yeah. top down decision making. Right. And you can do that now with technologies. I hope we'll get into this because yes, we we've, we've done a lot of this. Yeah. Um, and um, so. Uh, it's it's not sensible. It's arrogant. It won't last. It's not effective. And I think, by the way, a lot of uh, tech people are. Um, I, I get to speak to sure. most of the people who are running most of the big tech companies, uh-huh. and, and I think that this there's a a real appreciation for that issue of collective decision making, right. of getting data on people and doing that idea. And how to do it effectively. The question is how to do it effectively. So that's, right. well, that's what we talk about. But so idea meritocratic decision making is, is great. Then in addition, uh, today we have data so we can know uh, everything about what it, everybody's like right it's easier than ever right to know what everybody's like and so if you have uh, a group of people who want to do that who want to be a participant in that who want who themselves want to know what it's like then what they're like that um you can do that in partnership with this radical transparency Mm -hmm. so they can know their strengths and weaknesses and that you can put together teams of people better they know how to develop they know how to guardrail themselves better like if somebody's weak at something and somebody else is strong that makes them better so that's better so we're in the world of this radical transparency and radical knowing what it's like right it's only a question of how that's used to produce that and and use that that idea meritocratic process in addition if you take your criteria for decision making and you write them in an algorithm so that everybody can see Mm -hmm. okay not only does that make better decision making but it creates more of an idea meritocracy because because, they can see it because they can see it and they can be part of building that so now imagine that you can have a better idea meritocracy you can have more Mm buy-in you can have better decision making you have that transparency Uh you can do that so the 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 great thing about silicon valley uh, is that there's uh open-mindedness to what is the new and better ways and there's an appreciation for those kinds of things so yeah there's great receptivity in in uh pursuing those things now is the time for the debate on that right you know how far do you take it what does it look like all mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. and that's what that's what we're getting what into the, what are the challenges that you, the second part you talked about, i don't want to get away from it is the democratic to democratic explain that for well it's uh, one that's ma- another type of silicon valley company where I, I remember being at a meeting for a company that's now of course fell apart because there's so many of them but everybody was deciding at the same time they even had the janitor you know Give an idea up, and which I think their idea is that everybody has a good idea, and you don't know where it's from, and so they have this flat kind of structure. Well, uh, the problem with the democracy is that it assumes that equal everybody's views are equally valuable. Right. Okay, that's not that's just not the case, right? right. In order to do this properly, the best way is to do believability-weighted decision-making. You making. talked about this. Can you go into this? This was Sure. Okay. I want to explain the concept sure. first, and then we'll get Please. the mechanics of how you get at it. But um, let's say you have uh, an illness. Mm-hmm. And, okay, what do you know about the illness? You don't know the, uh, much about it. Then you, what you do is you can go to three. Here's, the, by the way, the path for anything. Mm-hmm. Three experts three believable people who will argue with each other to try to find what the right answer is all right and then you hear those uh is there triangulation that that's a good path or is there disagreement and when you bring up the disagreement you get a hell of an education because Uh you see what the disagreement points are you work those things through and then at the end of the day when you're going to make your decision of what you're going to do you will make a believability weighted decision you're going to think that guy knows more about this and that guy there and if i have triangulation so that's what believability weighted decision making is Mm -hmm. then the question of how to do it within an organization yeah and that's where really the, the beauty of the algorithms and and the, deci- and the computer decision-making can come in because what happens is you can get to know what people are like. So you, we have believable, literally believability-weighted decision-making. For every one of your employees? Yes. Okay. So that, Based on how does that input in? So now let me first okay. touch on what that looks right. like. Okay. Okay. So um, there are uh, many different dimensions, something like think of it as 50 different dimensions that a person might be believable in right right you might have an expertise in one area somebody else might have something else right be specific Uh, for example well um it's either it it could be either a subject matter or it could be a thinking quality Mm -hmm. let me give you a thinking quality okay somebody is very 
uh, creative, big picture thinker, sure. but they're not reliable. Right. Somebody's really reliable, pays attention to detail, let's say. But not creative. But, but, but not big picture. You know, right. so maybe big picture, maybe detail focus. Maybe uh, reliable, maybe creative. They're all different qualities. Can I so, ask you, sorry to interrupt, who determines that? Uh, we determine that by um, mutual... Of, um, it's shown in the TED Talk how, yeah. how that yeah. happens, so it'd be easy to show the gadget that right. we have to do that. But each one, um, it's a mutual view, voting, in a uh-huh. sense, uh, of each other, and then it comes through a, now, uh, a process of the higher this ones is get higher. This is you have uh, a dot. But it also comes through tests. Uh, uh-huh. Sometimes there are uh, personality tests. If you're right. faced with this, what does that um, happen? It is based on the decisions that you're making over a period of time. So all those decisions are, are recorded. And, right. and, and, and in the app. And assessed then. And, and by the computer. Right. So think of it this way. Um, if people were successful here in making a decision, and you said that they typically answered the questions this way or that. You produce the data. Mm-hmm. So imagine, like in school, if you had tests in mm-hmm. which, rather than the professor assuming he's got the right answer for the test, that what you did is you did uh, all of the profile of the of the most knowledgeable, uh, those who have had the most success and least success, and you had them all take the test, and you see mm-hmm. who make who is most correlated with those who did the test. So you don't have one professor deciding that yeah, this is the right answer, mm-hmm. but because you have triangulation of a number of people who took the test, maybe you might range from Nobel Prize winners to X Y Z, and you have that. Tri- you can get at okay, who is better at making that those that kind of, of, and then you get scored on that. Right. That attaches and, itself right. to you. And because the data is constantly being accumulated mm. and, and that way, and the uh, and the computer's going through that process, it'll then uh, bring that out. And then you have conversations. You get in sync. Is it right? Is it wrong? Mm-hmm. That, in other words, let's say we're assessing how you're doing. Yeah. Okay, here's the evidence. It's not a person making in that classic way, just right. one person. There's right. this evidence. Maybe, As if a per, like a boss says, I think you're difficult or I think right. you're Doesn't mean that argumentative. The, yeah, who gives a damn that, right. that you, okay, somebody thinks that, somebody else thinks something not, else. Right, right. How do you get at what's actually the, the case? Right? right? How do you get at truth? Right. Now, if you have a relationship in which we can all agree on the criteria by which we get at truth, mm-hmm. then it's not the boss just pronouncing you that way or right. you... Which you, happens in workplaces, doesn't it? People have a reputation, I guess, or, or they have an image. But the question is, I don't think it's bad if it's right. In other words, I, I get it's that. great if it's right. Because what happens is... Um, in this discovery process, um, the, um, most le- generally speaking, uh, it's not like we're going. If the person themselves doesn't believe it's right based on looking at the evidence, right. we assume it may not be right mm-hmm. until. And, but then there's a body of evidence that builds up of showing people's strengths and weaknesses, mm-hmm. and that's something that's built on. So many people are so defensive. Yes, that's okay, what I get. Yeah, that's my that's, next question. Okay, well, that's that's why. Uh, it's so important to understand essentially that that's the greatest problem that one of the greatest problems you have, right? Right. Because if you can just get past that and know what your strengths and weaknesses really are and deal with them effectively, you can be super effective. Absolutely. And so if the person comes into a place like that they people come in because they want to do this i'm I not see. saying it's easy right but they come in because they say i want to do that i want to do that and i want to know what my strengths and ways so you want is. a workforce that is willing to I, I just remember a visit i had at zappos you've you've seen their principles they are very strict in how they bring people in and then they pop people out who are not willing to be part of the way they're managing there they have a whole bunch of various principles but they don't want anyone in it that doesn't accept Ours is basically an idea meritocracy, right? right? And whatever the evidence is, do you want to have that self-discovery? Right. You or know, not. Right. Or not. Is that hard to change? So it's the opposite of a culture. Right. A culture is like somebody's going, I mean, excuse me, a cult. You know, the people who follow one doctrine. Right. No, no, this is the opposite. Right. We like independent thinking. We like the differences in agreement. How, we just have to manage them How all. do people then change within that structure? What if they actually change? Or it's, it's, it it then becomes reflected. Then it becomes reflected. It's, it's much easier to change in that structure than mm-hmm. a traditional structure. What, because if you're having these this evidence and you're looking at it, think of it like biofeedback. Sure. If you were having biofeedback, what's your calorie counting? And right. What is your energy? This is how 
and whatever it is. Yeah, you have and whatever it is, and you're constantly looking at that. And then, then you can and adjust then you have it. a culture that is encouraging that. Right. Like if you uh, you want to get fit, you have the biofeedback, and you go to I don't know a fit camp. Right. And if you're in the people who want to do this way, then you're going to get fit. If or you, to change if you your... don't, if you're blind to it, you're not going to get fit. Do you right? imagine people are a certain way and then can't change? Like with weight, you can stop eating. You can do lots of things to shift. But there are certain types of people that are in a workplace. Yeah, I, I, is that changeable? It's been such an interesting subject to me because I've spent time with neuroscientists yeah. and psychologists and so on. And what what we find out, and I think this is just the fact, it depends on. Um, generally speaking, it's like the body. Yeah. Um, meaning, there's a certain structure um, that you have. You're either born, I don't know, big boned and tall and strong, yeah. or you or whatever you use. You have a physiological thing, mm-hmm. and then there are parts of it that can change, and usually it can change on average within something like one standard deviation of a population. Mm-hmm. In other words, there's an ability to create some element of change. You can have some significant change. Sure. But if you're not one way as much. Yes, it's if you're a not bit, athletic. Uh, okay, built. you're just, you're, you're just you're not going to be. That, and the I point, will not be playing basketball. Uh, right, right, neither will I. Yeah. And so when you, but it, the thing about it that you have to get is it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And the reason it doesn't matter is when you start to understand that you don't have to be good at everything. <laughs> right. That you have to know what you're not good at and work well with people who are good at mm-hmm. what you are. And that's why the collective decision making is so much more powerful than the individual decision making, right. Right? right? If you do that well, it's not a problem. You can get to your goal. The key problem of mankind is that people have stuck in their heads the these opinions or there has to come from them thing right really where they can get past it if they can embrace the the fact opinions about themselves more than anything yeah really. or even opinions about things opinions right. about themselves opinions how to do these things right in other words all i'm saying is you you just have to come up with the best opinions but they're probably not in your head it, and you just have to come up with the best when you're executing does it help that you're saying the computer says it too, or is it because I think if you did it among that you need this data that shows successes and decision making? Does it does it help it, convince it, people? It, it does help. It does help. And when we say convince people, um, oh, I can imagine resistance. They have partners, right? Right. Yeah. the The struggle of people is between their two U's. I call it. Yeah. Okay. There, uh, there's the intellectual thoughtful prefrontal cortex uh-huh. you uh-huh. that when you say would you like to know your weaknesses yeah would you like to know what i think uh-huh. would you like to say what you think they you get yes 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 everybody uh-huh. agrees right but then there's the, the emotional emotion. you the subliminal emotional you that's uh-huh. the amygdala that is the you know that emotional thing uh-huh. that becomes a difficulty and when people realize that the, everyone has their two yous uh-huh that one is struggling with the other, then it helps them through it because they say, they say, what is going on here? If we're just gathering the evidence and we're looking at that, I can understand that my emotional me is standing in the way of looking at that evidence. Mm-hmm. But they, they have to understand there's two thems in there, right? you know, and that, that, that real struggle. So when you say, how do we approach it in an evidence-based way, then and and are we doing that and how that triangulation it helps them this isn't for everyone by the right, way this right. is uh, you know um people come about a third of the population it doesn't work out for in the first 18 months or so mm-hmm. and then you get to the point where uh, but other people would can't work anywhere else because they love the idea of meritocracy they can't go right. back to the politics and so on right but that's the struggle the struggle that people have is between their two use between the two use of their of the emotional and the that's right. And the intellectual, I guess. That That's would be right. right. When we get back, I want to talk a little bit about the modern workplace and how we change it. Because I think there's a lot of discussion about how we create innovation, how we come up with innovation, and how we get to the new work environment, which I think everyone feels like there is one coming. And it has a lot to do with uh, automation, with AI, with uh, robotics, and all kinds of things. So we're here with Ray Daly, and we're going to talk about that and more. He is the author of a book, principles, life, and work. And at the end, he's going to give us the key principles, I think, if he wants to think about them. This show is brought to you by Qualcomm, the company that invented the fundamental technology in everything you love about your phone. From download speeds to stunning photos to GPS, none of it would work the way you count on without Qualcomm engineers getting there first. 
And now the company that changed everything with the smartphone is about to change everything else. Qualcomm is why you love your smartphone, no matter what brand of phone it is. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash we invent. I also want to tell you about Too Embarrassed to Ask, my other podcast, which I host with Lauren Good from The Verge. Except this week, I was genius enough to replace Lauren with Recode's senior commerce editor, Jason Del Rey. Jason, what did we talk about? We talked a ton about Amazon, everything from their in-home delivery service called Amazon Key. I call it Creepers, Amazon Creepers. Go ahead, move along. To all the new Amazon Echo and Alexa hardware they've mm-hmm. come out with recently. What do you call that? I, I like those. I like they're creepers, but I they're welcome creepers in my house. But go ahead. What else? Also to the conversation around how the company in its most powerful positions is essentially almost all men. Yeah. Okay. It was a great discussion, and we hope you'll go listen to it. You can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. We're here with Ray Dalio. He's the chairman of hedge fund Bridgewater Associates, which he co-founded in 1975. But he's also the author of Principles, Life and Work, which seems like a kind of a Bible of management. I don't know how else to think about that. Or or instruction book. How do you think about it? Um, Bible and instruction book. There's been a lot of these. Let me just say. Yeah, let me me say. It's so much the... That's like follow the instruction. Right, yeah. This is a thing for independent thinkers. All right, okay. Okay, so... Um, these are a bunch of principles that um, I had written down. That and, you've gotten over the years. And that right. what happens is I like them stress tested. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be uh, putting together an app. We have an app. Uh-huh. Um, it's called that, the Dot app? Is that right? Well, that's a different one. Okay. We All have right. a bunch of them. All right. Um, okay. Um, um, it's called, the one I'm referring to is, is called The Coach. And what it does is it takes... There was a guy here in Silicon Valley called The Coach. Remember Bill Campbell? Did you ever meet him? Okay, no. I he don't was know. the everybody hired him to be the coach. But go ahead. Okay, it was a person. But, not but let's app. so let's take that. Okay, and let's imagine Bill wrote down when you encounter this situation. Right. Here's my suggested recipe for that. That sure. would be principles, right? And then let uh, and this will be to bring together other people like Bill right. and other fabulously successful ideal people to put in principles so you could look them up whenever something of a certain type comes here's up. Here's how Reed it Hastings says, handled it. Here's it, how Bill Gates handled it. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, uh, here would be his helpful principles. Uh-huh. And then you write in your own principles. Oh, I see. And you... So crowdsourcing principles. Yes. And, and you're writing in your own principles. So then when something comes along, you... you don't just jump to handling it and you reflect and you think, how can I do that? The important thing is that you make the decisions yourself, that you don't follow instructions. Sure. You know, you're asking me about what the most important principle is. I right. mean, uh, in a sense, the most, one of the most important principles is, don't is, follow the principles. is, is, is to think from your, sure. think for sure. yourself, recognizing that you don't have anywhere near enough knowledge Data. in right. your head to make those print those decisions well and so to be radically open-minded to take those in and weigh weigh those decisions well that's the key to life you only you know what you're going after mm-hmm. only you know how to get but that you, but, but you have to do also, that with radical you open-mindedness are trying to standardize them in a way too at the same time that it can't because one of the things I think there's, first of all, there's a million management books out there and they all have a very different take on how to best be successful and not just that, how to create innovation. And that's the biggest topic here is how do you continually keep a corporation innovative? I think you're talking about innovation here, the idea of being fresh decision-making. Well, look, I mean, I'm saying I did this for 40 years. I I went from nothing to here and this this is just what it is. Work for me. You take it it or leave it. I get that. And, and, you know, it'd just be like, I don't know, if Steve Jobs went... He wrote down his thing, or Bill Gates, or X Y Z, Harry Schultz, yeah, or X Y Z, yeah. You write. This is just what those things were. I get that. And if everybody does that, that's cool. So you want to an, an app called the Coach? We'll talk about your app in the company. What you guys use? Well, we have a number of them, but I think you're referring to the Dot Collector, yes. which is uh-huh. what was shown in that TED Talk. Uh-huh. It's an iPad. In the iPad, everybody brings in the room the iPad. And it captures what everybody's thinking about people and things as the meeting is going on. Wow. And it lights all of that up. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when you look down on the screen, uh, and it comes in colors, like if something's 
if you think somebody's doing a really good job, it's in bright green. And if you think somebody's doing a bad job, it's in red. Real time. Real time. It's as this thing is happening. And so you start to see that. And so uh, something lights up. So you're seeing what everybody's thinking. You tap on it and you could see what anyone is thinking at that particular time about each other. As long as they're being honest, yeah. And there in that that process. And then what it does, um, so, so it does a lot more than I'm, uh, just describing, but what it means is that it highlights different people's ways of thinking, right? And it transforms their way of thinking because they see that they're just one of those squares looking at others, and that everybody's seeing it differently. So they ask themselves, "How do I know I'm right?" right the big right. transition, you know, the big transition to make is going from a mindset in which you say, "I'm right." Uh to asking yourself, how do I know I'm right? Uh Because if people disagree, somebody must be wrong, and how do you know that wrong person isn't you? So that by going above that, and you look at this screen, you say, wow, all these people are um, saying the same different right. different things they're all saying all those different things and how do we sort out who's right? right that's where then the algorithms and the process is so you view that as a common question that we have to solve together sure. and you say how do we determine who is more believable and how that works it also because it knows because the computer knows all about what your like, person's like and right, so yeah. on it deals with them individually in terms of giving uh interactions so that um, as the meeting's progressing and it's saying, okay, it knows what not only everybody's thinking, but what your inclinations are to see things one way or another. Sure. That, that, that comes through and it gives coaching. And then, uh, it, okay, in that situation, you might be aware of this, blah, 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 that kind of thing. And then when a decision comes to be made, um, rather than um, uh, just t- talking and so on, the question is, what, what should this decision be? And then everybody um, gives that and their decisions, what that is. And there's believability weighted decision making so right. that you can look at that. Based on each person. Okay, based on each person's uh, believability and the weight. We talked about that a minute ago. So certain ago. people get more weight than so, others. So, so, and it, but it'll show both. Right. It shows equal weights and it shows believability oh, okay. adjusted weights <laughs> so that you can look at those two things. Right. Because I find, um, uh, look, uh, I started the company and, you know, and I think, and I think if I'm in a situation in which I have a belief and those other believable people that there are those number of believable people who disagree with me, um, there's a good chance I'm wrong. Right. And so I don't want to just go on. So creating that translation, I would rather defer to the other person if uh, I will struggle to make sense. We'll go the back and forth. I'll try to understand why. But it's like you and the doctor example I gave. You're, sure. If you're not well and you say, I have to be the one who makes my decision, well, right. I'd rather have the three doctors right. agree on my path than yeah. for me to follow that path, and that'll be the path that I'll go down. So by being able to do that, that's great. It'll also collect the data on your decision-making. Once you've made it. Well, once you've made it, and, and, to, and it pops up uh, a little screen, and it says, people who made that decision ha- um, in this group Tend to have the following characteristics, uh, to have the tend to have the following strengths and, and weaknesses. Right. In other words, if you take a group of people, let's think about that group, and you say, let's imagine there's 20 people in a room, and you would to say those that are rated highest on this thing made this decision, and those who are rated lowest on that thing made that decision. Right. And here are the quality that would be behind it. So maybe it's creativity. Like, for example, a lot of people um, uh, pay a lot of attention. Some people have more imagination than others. Right. Some people, that's not, that's, there's a correspondingly good quality right. to somebody who might have be more reliable, but right. they may not have as much imagination. And so if you're having a decision and you're looking at that and you can start to say, oh, I see that because there's communication and that helps you move you toward idea meritocratic decision making. You get the idea. Right. So with what you're talking about, though, it's so appealing to people in technology. And again, I'm focusing on technology, but a lot of them seem to be in this myth of innovation is an idea popping into your head that it's Larry and Sergey were sitting in a room and thought about this or Mark Zuckerberg all the the, the stories the narratives are not about that well uh, no I do believe it's popping ahead here a lot no but I'm saying but it's it's something that's ingrained into the concept of where innovation comes from and a lot of technology people 
once they get to somewhere successful, they worry about keeping innovation alive and keeping a, a staff that is not political, bureaucratic, and slow. I, guess. I, I share those worries. Yeah. I think those are good, valid worries. Right. And I and I also think that um, um, a lot of innovation comes from innovative people, uh-huh. and it comes from it's subliminal. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I meditate. Right. Uh, and that's had a, a big. Uh, that's been beneficial because uh, ideas sometimes are not just uh, conscious. Um, engineering Mm -hmm. that the subconscious the subliminal mind is where a lot of creativity imagination intuition those things are very valid Uh and then when you take those things and you then bring them to the surface and match them with logic so that you triangulate that okay those subliminal ideas then triangulate with logic then you're probably good to go and that's you know that's the most successful process that's the process right and then um, but not everybody does that equally well for whatever their reasons are and so that's true then the question is how do you do that in an idea meritocratic way so okay you do that by knowing what people are good at and bad and and you try it and so and and everybody works together so because a lot of people who may not um who may think one way right don't really understand what it's like to think the other way. And they get very frustrated with the other person. They think the other person is wrong. So the person who's paying a lot of attention to the detail, by way of example, thinks that you're not paying, that imaginative person is not paying attention to the detail. They're skipping over the important things. They're just, their heads in the clouds. And the other person is saying, you know, get with it. I, you know, you can't you imagine this and that? And they're at odds. And when they understand each other and how they think differently, there's a greater appreciation for those types of, of ways of thinking and a greater working together and that's key. But does key. it seem though in the workplace that, that doesn't, it doesn't actually happen that way? Usually someone does something that's successful and then they keep doing it that way. They keep moving in the same I direction. Don't th- I don't think most innovators are going to do that because I mean... The well innovat- I'm thinking of something I've covered recently, Uber. Very, a certain way of getting somewhere it's not working anymore, and they've brought in someone who's Well, then very that's different. not a really innovative person. Right. I mean, first of all, a lot of this comes within the person and sure. what is the nature of the person. Right. We put labels on companies, yeah. but the reality is it's the people. Forget the labels. Absolutely. You can't say, you know, an Uber's or something. It's the who's Or the, any who's of the, the companies. They've but, done it a certain way. But it, they... the, it's, I'm saying... Forget the companies. It's the people that matter. We call this thing company, and they say, okay, the company yep. does something. Yep. The reality is how do the people who are making the decisions behave? And I'm saying that, you know, just on following through on that point, um, a, a really innovative person um, just loves innovating. Mm-hmm. And so they don't like, they get bored with it. In other words, and, and, and I know myself and the people I enjoy being around with something like, okay, get the idea, get it going and make it happen. And so on. So going from visualization to actualization, Absolutely. there's a section in the book on shaper. So mm-hmm. I, um, and person, we've had personality tests and so on taken by, uh, I did. Right. I asked them, uh, Elon Musk and Bill Gates and um, a number of Reed Hastings and Reed Hastings. a number of those people um, and deal with the question of what is the shaper's mentality? Uh-huh. There's a section in the book on, on what, what, what do they go after? Because you deal with the personality tests and so sure. on. And, and, and by and large, um, it is this, uh, and what is a shaper? A shaper is somebody who can take something from visualization to actualization right. and build it up. Which is the, prob- which uh, is the uh, problem of a lot of people. They can't do that. Well, but you can do it collectively. Uh-huh. Like all of those people, you know, they have the audition goals and they have great imagination. Uh-huh. And that's important. But the one thing that you see about them um, pervasively is that there's right. this full range, and it may not be just within themselves. The attention to the big picture and the attention to the detail. Right. In many cases, it's within them themselves right. that they can go full range. I'm thinking Reed Hastings okay. would probably fit that. Okay, yeah, you, he's full you, range. You, you, yeah. you go full range, uh-huh. but also you see. Um, but um, but Reed has uh, a team. Uh, um, uh, he has Ted. Yeah. 
and if Tons if you speak people. to if you speak read about that like he knows what dad is good at and, right. and he says i don't i'm not uh, that's not my thing and they know how to work together the key is to also pick the talent and other people and when they're right. not when they're strong where you're weak to make sure that you as a team go full range right and you have that appreciation absolutely so that's what it, you know that's basically what it's like Which, right and there are many of those things uh, i won't rattle off right. all the qualities but they have patterns in mm-hmm. in case in those cases and one of the things is that when you have the visualization and you compare it with the reality there's a gap mm-hmm. and you when you can see that gap that gap is painful almost right, right and right. it's such a pleasure to fill that gap and then when you fill the gap you want to go on to the next gap because you keep seeing those gaps right as sure. long as you see those gaps that's what it's about mm-hmm. so nobody that i know who's really creative mm-hmm. gets likes to do the same things over and over right. again Right. So let's finish up talking about cohesion because it's something I think about a lot with a lot of companies that I cover at least. And you can iterate this to banking or Hollywood or wherever. I've noticed that a lot of what you're talking about is cohesion. Whether you like each other or not, there's a cohesion amongst a group of people. And every successful company I've seen is cohesive. They may not like each other. They may not get along. They may personally dislike each other, but there's a certain level of cohesion among the group. And they're not doing it to this extent, this much discovery of each other, which is interesting. The idea that you could standardize it and make it almost into an app is really interesting, the concept of what they're already doing naturally. So how do you create a workforce that understands how to do this? Because that's not how it's been done in this country or in many places. Well, I'm, I, How do you get people thinking the modern workplace, especially with incursions from robotics and automation and the changing job force? Well, a lot of that stuff, robotics, and, and enhances the, these things. I think, uh, uh, you know, I think it's like playing great jazz together. Mm-hmm. You know, you uh, mentioned that in the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you, you know, it's um, so you and the key is you play together and you do that radically transparently, and yeah. you see what is painful, and and you see what's good, and then you look at what's painful, and you look at what's good, you talk about it, and so on, mm-hmm. and that's the key, I think, to a good relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And but being tough with each other. Mm-hmm. In other words, being high standards. Uh, you know, you only want to... You want to be great together, and but you can't be afraid of talking about like you're off key and, right. and that kind of thing, and hold that hun. It, so it's like a great team, mm-hmm. you know. You have to be, uh, uh, and when you get that great team thing going, you know, so that you're uh, transparent, and you know, if you had a team and somebody's not doing their job or whatever, and that feedback, everybody, on. you have to keep moving on, and so it's that being among that elite and excited about that, but being uh, well, like great jazz group together right. when they have all those musicians and they know how to work together. So uh, it's it's a magical thing. So I think you have to uh, do it. You have the emotions, and then like be in sync. There's a you know there's a big principles about how to how do you get in sync right right and and that's what the radical transparency you know after a while whether you're playing great jazz or not together right right, absolutely do you imagine our workforce is ready for thinking like this like thinking in this way and changes because it has been a top-down it's mostly it's not democratic it's mostly autocratic a lot of companies and and again this single you know there's it's like a jesus-like figure and i'll never forget steve jobs once said said to me you know he gets he got a lot of the attention he sucked up a lot of the attention because he was steve jobs and i was someone was saying something to him i think he said something like you know it's not like they're all oompa loompas in the back making my ideas they're all contributing to it like they he created that myth and at the same time disdained the myth that there was a great team behind him a group of people but do you imagine our workforce is ready to understand that, or, are we, I, I or do think, we like I, the autocratic? I, I think I, I think it's a almost a, a bad subliminal thing. This heroic thing, yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's a load of bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's um, people it, love it though. Uh, it, but that's that's yeah. what they like the saga. Yeah, they like the story. The struggle, yeah, they 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 like those things. Okay. Um, but let's be clear. First of all, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, that doesn't mean great independent thinkers right. are not going to have an important thing. Oh, my God, a limited number of people have changed right. the world. Right. But if you put together a team of uh-huh. great independent thinkers and a great idea meritocracy, 
its evolution will mean that it'll drive it in this direction. So we know what, what works, what, what works, works. And at right. the end of the day, right. this type of approach of being able to have that kind of triangulation at the best, and then that idea meritocracy is going to have a pull. And I think, I think the natural force is there. If you're looking at um, what we can collect in data now so we can make those distinctions mm-hmm. so that we can be evidence-based. And I think that there's a desire. We're in a crowdsourcing environment we uh, where people like it, okay? Yeah. We, they understand the value of it. And so this is what this is about. I think this approach is for this time. For this time. I'm going to put you on the spot. Our presidency is not like that right now. We've elected an autocratic personality, obviously. Is that the last gasp of that or is it... Because nothing's getting done, like nothing's getting passed. Nothing's. Yeah, I'm not going to get into the right. politics. Right, but it's I mean, a if, if you're asking me, if you're asking me to opine on, but the, I'm saying people like that. If puppy. here's what, yeah, but here's what it really is like. I mean, anything. If the president, right, um, could make his principles clear mm-hmm. and known, and if you could have an idea meritocracy, right. Principles that bind us together as a country. What are our principles? We have to articulate that and, and, and be clear about what is being... Right. Because the biggest risk to me is the fragmentation. Right. The, exactly. That's what I want to get at. I don't okay. want to like necessarily talk about the president, but like the political process seems we very have a, broken we have right a pro- we, we, have, we have a political process, but even more importantly, we have this fragmentation that's due to a number of things. The, the, um, there's a wealth fragmentation, and there are two economies. We talk of the economy, mm-hmm. recognize that you can't talk of the economy about the economy, that there are two economies. Absolutely. That the, um, let's call it the top 40% and the bottom 60%. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the, popula- the economy of the bottom 60%, mm-hmm. it is a miserable economy. Mm-hmm. Not only hasn't it had growth and economic um, mm-hmm. movements and so on, um, it has the uh, it has um, the highest rising death rates. It's the only place in the world where death rates are rising because of a combination of uh, opiates, uh, other uh, uh, drugs, and suicides. Mm-hmm. Um, it the the top uh, one tenth of one percent of the population has a net worth that is equal to the bottom 90% combined. Mm -hmm. So we have two existences, two parallel existences that are taking place, and we have that kind of split. And unless we, if you're the president of the United States, I think you have to, you have to, or whatever, you have to think about, okay, the country as a whole. Okay, this is an issue. Um, That's an economic issue. What we're having, I think Donald Trump's election is a manifestation that somebody else would have gotten elected or at some point on right. that bottom 60%. Right. It's a populism of sorts. So study populism in history. Yep. If you go back in terms of like the the 30s or, or periods of time, we're in a position that's very similar to 1937 in a lot of ways, not just politically, economically, for a variety of different ways. So everything that's happened has happened before. Absolutely, and it's, and I got it, that. It's that pattern. <laughs> yeah. So I'm saying now, uh, if you could have thoughtful disagreement Right. That's why I want to apply your book's principles to this, because it seems like that's precisely what's not happening. What he could do, and I'm not, what one could do, is first um, have thoughts put on the table, everybody, mm-hmm. clearly. If I was taking the people around him, mm-hmm. that would be a good way to do it. And I'm not saying he's not doing it. I'm just commenting on what's good. Second is then to know the art of thoughtful disagreement. Mm-hmm. Okay. How we together however that's extended i would say bipartisan it's right. we have to work together right but um to find out how you have thoughtful disagreement and then have idea meritocratic ways of getting past that disagreement that keeps us together rather than are at each other's throats because i do believe that this split in mm-hmm. the country is the greatest problem of our time, not Absolutely. just economically, socially, politically, mm-hmm. and that it's going to worsen because technology is a fantastic way of raising productivity by also reducing the need for people in a lot of different ways. Right. People are going to, by and large, either know how to code or be increasingly unemployed yep. because they were being replaced by the product of that. So we have to uh, deal with the, that issue. So collectively, I think if, if you understood the the important principles, mm-hmm. the understanding of quality, collective decision-making, right. idea meritocratic decision-making. It would be great for our country, mm-hmm. and it would lead to better decisions and greater cohesiveness. Well, let's hope. It works for companies, but let's see if it works for the group at large. Because it's very, it's a really interesting time when there's so many in, much innovation in how we run corporations and companies and so little in how we run our 
our society, which is interesting, which is an interesting thing. When are your books coming out on investing in the economy? Probably not for 18 months uh-huh. or two years. So, Ray, lastly, if you had to pick one of the things that's most critical to begin this process, I get that all the parts are very important, the, the disagreement, the knowing yourself, the algorithmic the data around it, the data around the decision. And I assume there's also data around whether decisions were successful too, which also plays into it, whether, you know, whether the decisions are successful. Which is the most important part, do you imagine, well, of the, the thing, process? I, I would say the, there are five things you need to do in order to be successful. Right, right. First, you have to have your audacious goals. Mm-hmm. Second, as you go to those, you're going to encounter your failures, your mistakes. Mm-hmm. You have to identify those and not tolerate them. Right. Third, you have to get the diagnosis to the root cause of them, which could be that you have a weakness or anybody has a weakness. Fourth, once you have that, you have to design what you're going to do about it to get around it. And fifth, then you have to push through to results. And if you keep doing that over and over again, Uh you'll inevitably succeed. Let me say, in order to have a successful life, the only thing you need to do is have great dreams, then embrace reality and know how to deal with right. it well, and then have determination. Because if you have those things, you have your dreams, and then you encounter your realities and you learn, and you do it over and over again because you have determination, you'll inevitably succeed. Just recognize it's not all in your head. Right. So be radically open-minded and recognize that you don't have to have everything in order to succeed. Well, I appreciate that because it's a good message for the many egomaniacs of Silicon Valley who do think it's the case. In any case, this is really fascinating talk. I'm talking with Ray Dalio. His new book is called, he's, he, he runs a, a multi-billion dollar hedge fund on their side, but he seems like he's the author of Principles, Life, and Work, which the New York Times described as part memoir and part how-to guide, where he shares the lessons and processes that have guided him throughout his career. Ray, it was great talking to you. Thanks for coming to the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews we've done with Bears in the Streets author Lisa Dickey, NYU professor Scott Galloway, and political journalists Maggie Haberman and David Farenthold, just to name a few. You can find all those episodes and more wherever you found this one or on our website, recode.net slash podcast. Now that you're done with this, check out one of our other shows on Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You'll hear no BS interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I also host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Cadence 13, the company that distributes this show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor, Chris Basil. And thank you to our producer, Eric Johnson. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then.